How you guys doing? I know he's doing good. He'd been hooting. There you go, man. There's a guy that's radical for Jesus. I like that. I think it's great. Well, it's good to be back. It's been a while since I've been up here. And you know me, I love teaching the word. It's good. Where's Brother John, man? Where'd he go? Yeah, where'd John Uringo go? Man, that was good. Is he cooling down? We got a we got to fan him down. I love it when that guy gets up. His beard's looking really good. I was growing one. I went on vacation a while, and I had a good little gray beard going, but I didn't want to let it go anymore. It's interesting, John talking about telling people that Jesus loves them. You know me, I talk about the Jesus movement all the time. We used to say that to people all the time. And I was thinking about it. I said, wow, maybe we need to start saying that a little bit more again. Because... It, you couldn't, it was amazing how sometimes you just walk up to somebody and, and you just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit just to tell them that Jesus loves them. And it, almost always there was a smile that came on their face. And uh, maybe we need to start doing that again, you know. I think we're headed towards revival. I hope you guys are thinking that and praying for it. <clears throat> we're going to just wait, but we don't want to just wait around. We want to tell people that Jesus loves them, cares for them. It's a tough world we're living in, isn't it? It really is. Really, really tough. It's not the, the, the nice world that I had when I was growing up in the 50s. It's a tough, tough world out there. Full of darkness, full of hate, full of everything. It truly is. Well, tonight we're going to continue through the, the book of John. And uh, they've given me uh, John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. And I entitled it, Why Most People Don't Believe in Jesus. And, and you know me, when I come up here, I usually kind of drop back and we kind of go through a little bit what's already been taught. And it's been quite a few weeks that we've gone through that. But I, I did. I searched back in the scriptures to see some things that I think Jesus wants to go over a little bit and speak to you again and maybe challenge you again. And I'm sure that I maybe see some things in those sections that uh, the other guys that taught, may, they might not have saw. Or even I think Kim taught one section too. God's always got good stuff for us if we have a heart that's open to hear. We have a heart that's ready to listen, truly. And I'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. We're in the last days of Jesus' life. And, you know, it must be tough on him, and it is. And, and we'll kind of see as we look through that. I mean, a lot of things are going to happen to him in these last few chapters. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. Peter's going to deny him, one of his closest friends. He's going to have a phony trial. He's going to be sentenced to death. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to overcome death, praise God. And then he's going to have that glorious resurrection. But a lot's going to take place. You know, John, his main purpose was that people would believe. That's why he wrote this book. And I want us all to stand, and we're going to honor God's word as we always do. Sometimes I do this, Pastor. I think, well, what if I wouldn't do this? I wonder if they would beat me up. <laughs> But it's something that we do. We honor God's word. And I'm going to look at a different verse tonight. We should have John chapter 20 on there. Because this is really why John wrote this whole thing. And look what he says there. He says, Disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded. And he's talking about in this book, in this gospel. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
that he's the Christ. He's the one who came to die on the cross for mankind. And then that he is the son of God. In other words, you see him, you see God. He's the exact image of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life. You and I will have life by the power of what? His name. His name. There's power in his name. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that there is power in the name of Jesus. And there are so many times when I come to church, Lord, and, and we sing songs. And, and I love it when we sing songs when we just whisper your name, Jesus. How powerful that is. There is power in your name. There is power in your blood. I thank you for a hungry church that wants to know your word and wants to know you better. They want to have a deeper relationship with you, Lord. And I know one way that that happens is by getting into your word because it shows us more about you. And that's how you get closer in relationship to anybody. So speak to us tonight. Bless my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys all sit down? In chapter 12, that verse section there about verses 1 through 11, I don't have it up there, and, and, but I want to point out some things to you that Jesus is preparing for his death. He knows, just as I said, he knows he's going to die within a few days, and there's a wonderful thing that takes place. Mary anoints Jesus, and we should have a picture of that. She takes this perfume that she has. You know how much that perfume? I'm sure whoever taught on that, it cost a year's wage. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to put on the feet of Jesus. Think about your wage and how much you make. I don't know how much you make. I know what I make. But I would be pouring that on him. You know what that is? That is radical love and devotion. We're in a whole series on being radical for Jesus. That's a, an extravagant gift that she gave to him. And Judas rebuked her for doing it because he was still in the money. And he, didn't, he figured, let's you know, sell that stuff and I could steal more money from Jesus and the rest of them. Jesus knew what he was doing. But you know what? Thankful people, grateful people give to God. But Judas rebuked her. When I first got saved, I was radical. I hope I'm still radical, an old guy like I am. I want to be. And I told my dad that I was going to give Jesus 10% because they taught a message at church and I wanted to believe Jesus and I wanted to honor God and I wanted to just be radical for Jesus. I told him, my dad rebuked me, rebuked me to my face. He said, what are you doing that for? That's 10% of your gross finances that you could keep and you could do that. I said, I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. That's what grateful people do. They get radical. They get radical for Jesus. They really do. This is the question I want to ask you tonight. How extravagant and radical is your love and your devotion to him? How is it? Hopefully we've been challenged, you know, as we come on Sunday. We're not just to come on Sunday and just to hear the word. We're to really kind of ponder it, let it go deep into our hearts. And, and hopefully the Holy Spirit sometimes just kind of jabs us a little bit and say, that's for you. You need to get a little bit more radical. You need to get a little bit more extravagant. Many people were flocking to see Jesus. They wanted to see this man that was doing all these miraculous signs and wonders. And it says in this section here, they didn't even, 
they didn't only come to see Jesus. You know who they were coming to see? Lazarus. Not the zombie. He wasn't a zombie. <laughs> he was raised from the grave. A dead man. A dead man was raised from the grave and, and they wanted to come see him as much as they wanted to see Jesus because he was the proof of him being the son of the living God. And you know what it said that the Pharisees, those religious people wanted to do? They wanted to kill Lazarus too because he was the proof. The world always wants to destroy the proof of Christ. They'll never take this Bible away. And the proof that Jesus is alive is every one of you have given your life to Christ. That's a proof of a man of God who can change people's lives. You are the living proof that Jesus is alive. And then we have that triumphant entry. I think we got a picture of that. Of him coming in to Jerusalem for the great Passover. You guys know what happened on the Passover, right? It, 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 it was done to go back in history when God passed over the people, right? What did they do? They put blood on their doorpost. They took a lamb and they, they, they put the blood over it and they passed over the people of God and it killed what? The firstborn of Egypt, of all the Egyptians. They said almost three million people might have been in Jerusalem. It's hard to think at that time in history there'd be that many people there. That's a lot of people. And he comes in on a, on, a, on a donkey. And you say, well, a donkey? I mean, come on, man. You ought to be riding a Cadillac or something like that coming into town. But no, you know what? That was a very honorable thing for a king to ride in on that. And it also, it also fulfilled prophecy. The Old Testament said that Jesus, the Messiah, would come riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. You know, the ancient heroes, they had, they had parades, right? That's what they were giving Jesus, that parade that day. And it's interesting that, uh, you know, they did that for heroes. And Jesus is the greatest hero there's ever been, isn't he? I hope you, I hope you believe that. He made the greatest of sacrifices that anybody could have ever made for a person. He died for you and I when the Bible says we are alienated from him. We didn't even like him. We didn't even know who he was, and he still died for us. A good person will die for their friends. You know, we hear about, you know, the policemen that rushed in there trying to save all those kids. That's a good thing. That's the kind of love that Jesus has, right? He, that guy didn't even know those people, and he ran in there. That's a real act of love. It's interesting that the Pharisees got upset because there was so much commotion going on about Jesus. And, and the thing that I've learned is that Satan really gets upset when things are happening for Jesus, when there's commotion, when churches get together and they start praying like Brother John said. Man, John, that was so good. That whole place should have just got in there and just prayed and, and been singing worship songs and the presence of God would have filled that place and more people would have experienced the joy of God. Because joy will take you through the sorrow. It really will. It refreshes you. And then as it moved on into verses 20 through 26, it's real interesting that there were these, there was these Greeks that, that had heard about Jesus. This, this great man of God who was doing these miracles and stuff, and they wanted to see him. They wanted to check this guy out. They wanted to know 
They wanted to know him. And what they end up doing, they went to a couple of his disciples. He went to, to Philip, who was a, a Jew born among the Greeks. They knew that, you know what? He's kind of like one of us. Maybe, maybe he can get us to Jesus. And Philip goes to Andrew, who was his close friend. And you know what they do? They take these guys to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do, guys. Take people to Jesus. That's our job, isn't it? Don't you guys agree with that? It's our job to take people. You, you, you probably know Jesus because someone took you to him to help you see him. That's what happened in my life some 40-some-odd years ago. Good friends of mine, surfer guys that I used to do bad things with. We won't talk about those things. But they took me to Jesus, and they showed me who he was, was like. And it's interesting in this section here that he, he talks about him, and he gives an illustration that he's, he's a grain. He, he's, a, he, he's a grain of wheat that was supposed to come and to die. And I think, I think Dustin taught on this section here. And that out of that little dinky seed, that one little seed, there's millions and maybe billions of Christians around the world because Jesus came. That one little seed, that's what it did. See, that was his purpose, to come to earth to die. To die. So that he might bring life to all of those that would come to him and accept him as his Lord and Savior. And he says some pretty amazing things here. I remember when I was a young Christian, I read some of this and I didn't quite understand it. I understand it now a little better. He said, if you love life, you're going to lose it. If you hate life, if you turn your back on this life, you're going to keep it. And I remember as a young believer, I said, what is he talking about? He's talking about eternity with Christ. That's what he's talking about. If we, if we get away from that stuff, the physical, this world in which we live in, if we, if we denounce it, then we get life with Christ. The problem is so many people have so much stuff, they don't want to give it up for Jesus. That's too hard. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, I can't do that. I got to work all of the time, man. I got to keep all this stuff going on. I can't go to church on Sunday. I can't go Wednesday. I can't do any of that. If you're going to love this life, you're going to lose it. To serve Jesus is to follow him. To follow him is to serve him. Did you get that? To serve him is to follow him. To follow him is to serve him. Don't say you follow him without serving him. And whatever that might be. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's going and helping some people. Maybe it's doing something around the church. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Whatever it might be. Serving Jesus. Whatever he wants you to do. Mary was serving Jesus. Martha was serving Jesus too, doing all the fixings and stuff. But you know what? What did he say to her? It's better you hang out here with me than be getting busy and doing all that stuff. See, God will bless you, God will grow you, and God will reward you, but you've got to die to self. You've got to die to selfishness. That's what we have to die to, the self. Sometimes I look at my life, and I still got so much selfishness in me. And I've been walking with Jesus a long time. And that bothers me. It does. It really does. So it's an ongoing process. Don't think when you get gray and bald like me that it's, you know, that it's easier. It's still tough. That self is still in there. And then Jesus, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
It said that he was emotionally distressed. I think we should have a picture up there. Emotionally distressed, Jesus. Look at his disciples back there sleeping. He took them along. You know why? He was a human man. I don't think we realize sometimes how human Jesus really is. That was probably the hardest time in his entire life, going there and knowing where he was going. He was in the shadow of the cross. He knew he was going to die in a few days. This was a man who was a carpenter. He knew what pain was. I'm sure he had a couple cabinets drop on him and beams and hit his thumbs and hands and, and all of that. You know, I've been a carpenter my whole life. Boy, I've damaged myself and it hurts. He was going to suffer the most inhumane way of dying that there's ever been on this planet. Do you guys realize that? The cross takes so long to die. So long to die. Lethal injection, gas chamber, electric chair, shooting, hanging. It's all quick. It's all quick. But for some reason, God made his son come at that particular moment in time when that's what the Romans did. They crucified people. Crucified them. You know, how many of you have seen, you know, Mel Gibson's movie? Boy, it just about rips me apart. I can't even, if I think about it, it's just, it's too excruciating to see him die like that. It was tough, guys. It was not easy. And he knew that when, when God, his father, would put the sins of the world on him, that his father would turn away and look away from him. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You say, what's the big deal? The big deal is they have been in complete unity forever. And then all of a sudden, God was gone. There was no communication. His father had to turn because the sins, our sins, my sins, your sins, they were all thrown on him. And God cannot look at sin. He had to look away. And see, the great thing is that when Jesus looks at you and me, he sees Jesus. Sister, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus when he looks at me. Billy sees Jesus for all of us. He sees Jesus, his beloved son. It's amazing. It wasn't easy. It really, really wasn't. It wasn't easy for him to be the Lamb of God. He asked God when he was there three times, God, can't, this, can't, can't we just do this a different way? Have you ever done that to God? God, can't you just do it a different way? <laughs> Sometimes he can't, guys. I hate to tell you that. Sometimes God has to do it his specific way, the way he says it's going to happen. We can wrestle with him. Even his son wrestled for three times. Come on. Father, can't we do it a different way? And finally, you know what he said? Uncle, I'll do it your way. I surrender to you. And I love in that section, in verse 28 and 29, when all of this stuff's going on and Jesus is talking, I got a red letter Bible here. And I, I love there's so much red in here. But in verse 28 says this, when all this dialogue and all this stuff's going on about the wheat and everything, it says, then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name. I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, listen to this, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoke. 
might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, to me, it's pretty amazing that some only heard it as a thunder. And others heard that voice that was speaking. They thought that an angel had spoken. So some could hear words. Some couldn't hear words. Well, we were just up in uh, Zion National Park. Any of you ever been up there? Man, that place is it's radical, isn't it? You want to see God's hand get in that place. I never thought it was so spectacular. That's why I never took my kids there. <laughs> but this time, my son, you know, with his family and our two grandkids and stuff, you know, we all went up there together and stuff. Wow, spectacular. <laughs> Truly, you got to go up there and see that park. But one, one, one night, we went to bed, and we could tell there was clouds and everything. About 4 o'clock in the morning, the biggest, gnarliest thunderstorm came rumbling in. And we weren't right inside the park, but it was loud enough where you could see flashes and all that stuff. And my grandkids were scared to death. My son said, all of them, the two grandkids, wife, everybody, they're all in the same bed together in the middle of the night, 4 a.m. in the morning. And the next day, you know, I, I love my little grandson, Joe. Josiah. He's just the apple of my eye right now. He's got a little brother. He's getting pretty close. You know, he's about eight months. But I'm always talking to this little guy. And I said, what did you think about the thunder? And he goes, oh, I was so scared, Papa. I was scared. I was scared. I said, you know, the Bible talks about a lot in the book of Revelation, like when, when God's speaking and he's talking and stuff, that it's like thunder sometimes. I said, maybe God was just speaking. And he goes, hmm, you know kind of made him feel a little bit better through that whole thing. <clears throat> and the thing I want to ask you guys is this, and this is going to be your thing that you're going to do at your table right now, and we haven't even got into the section I'm doing because there's such good stuff here. How's your hearing? How's your hearing? You hear God is just thunder? Or do you really hear God's voice? And, 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 and what do you think you can do to help yourself hear God's voice a little bit better? Does that make sense to you guys? Can you talk about that for a little bit? And then we'll get back and I'm, I'll share a little thing with you. All right? So talk to one another. How is your hearing? What can you do to, to help you hear better? Getting in tune, learning how to listen to the voice of God. And I think I heard Odell over there say it's a process, and it is. It is a process. I had a sweet little thing kind of happen with my little eight-month-old grandkid and my son. You know, I, I love watching the interaction between my son and his sons and uh, just seeing him growing as a father and, and all of that. And, and I, I saw something I want to share because... My little eight-month-old grandson, his name is Jeremiah Thomas Gene Weir. And Gene's my middle name, so at least I got it in there on this one. But I, I saw my son, and he was talking. We were over at their house, and all of a sudden, he, he's talking, and he's saying, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah looks at him, and he goes, he's starting to know my voice and know who I am. And I went, well... And my son, I could see him just beaming, you know, and, and, and it, it blessed my heart. It kind of brought a tear in my eye and stuff. But I was thinking, how, how, how do you think our father is when we're a brand new Christian and all of a sudden, 
You know, he's speaking all the time. He's speaking to us through his word. He's speaking to us, you know, in our heart. And, and all of a sudden, as a young Christian, all of a sudden we go, yes, Lord. You know, how, how excited he must get. He's always speaking, guys. We just need to listen. And it takes time. You need to know his language. This is his language, the Bible. The more you read this, the more you pray, the easier it is to hear his voice speaking to you. And God will tell you things, and God will speak things to you, and God will ask you to do certain things. He wants us to do more of that. He truly does. That's why I wanted to kind of hit on this point tonight. He wants to stir all of us up to that and do that. There's a lot he, he wants to get accomplished, and we're it, guys. We're it. That's how it's going to get done. It's through his church. So we got to listen. We got to hear what he's, he's, he's saying to us. Jesus said he was the light of the world. He's the light. We talked about darkness, John. We're in a dark world. And you know what Jesus told these people? He said, listen, if we walk and we believe in him, the light, we're not going to stumble in this darkened world in which you and I live in. My little grandson, Joe again, we were up there in Zion, and every night you know, we have a little campfire out there, and it's kind of dark and everything like that, and the fire is going, you know, and he's pretty klutzy, so he's like falling all over. So what his parents gave him? A little flashlight. This little flashlight, so he could kind of walk where he's going, you know what I mean, and get himself back to the trailer when it's time for him to go to bed at night. Jesus is our flashlight, right? The words are flashlight. Are we turning it on or we got it turned off? If you find yourself in a dark situation, turn the light on, guys. You know what I mean? Show the word on it. Say, Jesus, shine here. Let, let me see. I can't see what's going on here. Is this the right kind of place I'm supposed to be at or not? Get me out of here if it isn't. Well, now we're getting into the section I'm doing. Verse 37 of John. This is about unbelief. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still not believe in him. They still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe. For as Isaiah also said, the Lord has what? Blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. That sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> and they cannot turn to me and ha have me heal them. And then this is what John says about Isaiah. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future thousands of years past. Saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did not believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish believers, or excuse me, some of them did believe in some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. When I first got saved, I wanted everybody to believe in this guy that saved my soul. Everybody didn't believe. Everybody doesn't believe today. And that's what John's trying to speak to right here, why they don't believe. And really, as you look at this, people can't see the forest for the tree. Jesus is in plain view. And I'm going to share a verse here in just a second. But what I'm saying to you is people choose not to believe. 
they choose not to believe. Look at what Romans says in verse uh, 22 of uh, or 20 of, of chapter 1. Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, though everything, th- through everything God made. They can clearly see his, what? Invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature. So they have, what? No excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as a God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And it says this, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And later on, it goes on, it said, God gave them over to all of their sin. See, people choose not to believe. Before you accepted him and before you believed in him, you were choosing not to believe in him, even though you can see it. Like I said, you go to Zion, wow. You've got to be a fool, like the Bible says, not to think that somebody created this. It's so spectacular. People have unbelief because it fulfills this prophecy, what Isaiah saw in the future, just saying, look, God's going to blind their eyes. He's going to harden their hearts because they choose not to believe. God gives everybody, everybody, an opportunity to believe and receive. That's just what God does. My Bible says that God wishes all men to be saved. All men. That's not going to happen. And the older you get, the harder it is to receive Christ. You young people, boy, that's when you receive Christ. I, I asked Jesus in my heart when I was 19 years old. That was just a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. It seems like a few years ago. It truly does. But it's hard because man has pride in his heart and he wants to live his own life. My dad was scared to death to die. He died in 2014. I wasn't there. I sure hope he gave his life to Jesus. But it might have been his pride that kept him from doing that, even on his deathbed. And that happened so much to so many people. There were a few Jewish believers, Joseph, Nicodemus. They didn't want want to admit it. They were secret saints. They were afraid, right? That's what it says here. They were afraid. They're afraid they're going to get kicked out. They're afraid their friend's going to turn on them. Guess what? My friends turned on me. Some of them did. How many of you had friends turn on you when you gave your life to Christ? Yeah. They just don't like you anymore. You know what I mean? You're not going to do. I had to give up some of my friends. God told me this one guy was like a brother. He said, you can need to get away from this guy. He's causing you to go back into the same stuff that I pulled you out of. And I did. I walked away from him. We remained friends over the years. He's still not a believer. They were afraid and they loved human praise and the approval of man more than God. Those are strong words. That's how they were. Christ separates friends and family from time to time. People's eyes and minds are blinded. Let's listen to what 2 Corinthians, when we get closer to wrapping this up, says. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Now listen to what it says here. This is interesting. Satan, who is the God of this world. Some of you guys don't realize that. He's the God of this world. That's why there's so much hate, killing, all the stuff that's going on here. Listen, 
He's ruling and reigning right here in this world. He's the prince and power of this world and the air. He's the one stirring all this up. It's not God. You can't blame this stuff on God. You can blame it on Satan. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Blinded them. They are unable to see the glorious light. Look what we're talking about. Zion National Park. They can't see it. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. This is yours and my assignment. This is what I felt really strong that we need to start doing more and more and more. And I've said it before. You got to pray for your friends, your relatives, co-workers, all the people around you, your neighbors, to have the blinders taken off. They can't see. You ever see a horse with blinders on? They do that so they won't be afraid of they're, you know, walking in places where they might get a little spooked and stuff like that. People's eyes are blinded. They can't see. You're, you're telling them and they can't see. You've got to pray the blinders off. Pray and pray and pray and pray. Verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds. Shouted. He got their attention. That's what he did. There's only a few times in the scripture where it says Jesus shouted. He shouted on the cross. It is finished. If you trust me, you are trusting not only in me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world. There's that dark world, John, you're talking about. So that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of, of the judgment by the truth. Talking about his word, I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say, how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to do. He gets their attention. Why didn't he get their attention? Too many voices out there. Three million people in the place. There's just chaos going on out there. Guys, there's so many voices that you and I are hearing all the time. We hear the voice of, of uh, news. We hear the voice of entertainment. We hear the voice of education. I mean, it's everywhere. Social media. Politics. There's so many voices out there. And he says, you got to trust me. you got to trust me. You trust in me, you're going to trust in God. If you see me, he says, guess what? It allows you to see God. See, the Pharisees didn't know God. They thought that they knew him, the religious leaders. They didn't. Jesus says, you don't know me, you don't know God, because God sent me. Man's way is religion, and religion never brings a person into a relationship with Jesus. And that's what Christianity is. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a religion. I'm not part of a religion. I hope you don't see yourself as part of a religion. It's Christianity. We're in relationship with the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only way to God. We used to be one way all the time, you know, in the old days. It's the only one way to God. He's the only way to see God. Don't be ashamed to say that to people. Well, come on. There's got to be more than one way. 
Well, I, I hate to tell you, but my Bible says it's only one. Well, what if you're wrong? Well, I guess if I'm wrong, everybody's wrong too, right? Who cares? My life is still better. It is. Truly, isn't it? I mean, if, if my dad would say that to me, it's like, what happens if it doesn't work? I said, well, I think my, wife's all, my life is already better. You know? But we know that that's not the truth. And in this world of darkness, again, Jesus is the light. He's the flashlight. And we need the flashlight. We truly do. His mission was love to save this world. That's what it was. Colossians 1 says that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son. Took us out of the darkness, put us in the kingdom of his beloved son, in the light. We walk in the light now, guys. We really do. But if you reject him, then judgment comes. Let's pray. God, there's a lot to digest there. There really is good stuff. Really good stuff. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. We truly. I pray you make us radical for you. This series, I love this series that we're going through, God. We need to be radical in our love for you, our devotion for you, our, our giving, our worship. Everything, Lord, that we do is to be radical for you. Help us to love you more than this world we live in. For some Christians, it's so hard for them to just walk away from this world and they're so attached to it. Help us to love you more, Lord. We need that. Help us to hear your voice better. I know it's a process and I pray for some of the younger believers here that, that Lord, that their ears would ever be so open. And even for some of us that are older, God, help us to not hear so much voices out there that we can hear you just speak to us and say, hey, I want you to go give that guy five bucks. Or, hey, I want you to call up your friend. We'd be amazed sometimes, Lord, what you can do when we do that. And help us to pray the blinders off of our friends. We do. Even right now, Lord, we just lift up our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, our coworkers, those people that, that we live life with. And we just pray that you'd begin to strip the blinders off of their eyes right now, Lord. Strip it off. Rip them off, Lord, on some of them. For some of them, they've been on there for so long. There's so much that's there. Help them to begin to see the light, Lord. And help us always, as your people, to shine the light, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.